anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hello, hello. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Paddling Fiction. I, of course, am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny the Gentile Profita. And of course, Donald Trump alone will fix it. He's got his own cure for the coronavirus, as I'm sure everyone has now heard during his press conference, his daily coronavirus update press conference yesterday. He uh, he stepped in it, no doubt. He He was talking about how he would like to see light and heat and disinfectants injected into the body to test that out to see if we can somehow cure the coronavirus by uh, those means. And I mean, of course, everyone's taking this and running with it and blowing it way out of proportion, saying that Trump wants everybody to, to drink bleach now and Companies like Lysol came out and like, we don't want anybody to inject themselves with our product, like as if that's what Donald Trump was really saying. Are there really people out there dumb enough to listen to Donald Trump and think, hmm, I'm going to go inject myself with disinfectant or swallow a bunch of bleach or something like that? Maybe, you know, it's a big country. There's over 330 million people here or something like that, at least that we know of, the documented people. And I'm sure you could find a couple of knuckleheads, just like we had with the Tide Pods, that would that would listen to Donald Trump just sort of um, spitballing like he, like he does at these things, thinking to himself, huh, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if we could test whether or not we could use ultraviolet light and get it inside the body? I mean, these are retarded ideas, no no doubt. Even though, you know, they do use, um, there, there's some sort of treatment, I think, in, in, in the blood. It's like uh, irradiation, blood irradiation or something where they like filter out your blood and hit it with UV light and then put it back in or something. I, I don't know. Something like, I, I know it's definitely been used before. I highly doubt that's what Donald Trump was referring to when he was just kind of uh, thinking off the top of his head, you know, oh, we got this new data and maybe this, maybe we could somehow inject this into the body to make this all go away. But the idea that people take him seriously you know, it, it always bothers me when the, the press likes to jump on all the stupid stuff that he says as if they're taking him seriously. I mean, they spent not the last three years calling him a buffoon, 
talking about how he's so stupid and he's not this stable genius and making fun of him every step of the way, discrediting him every step of the way, counting up all his lies, his thousands of lies. He lied about the crowd size. Look at all these stupid things he's lying about. And then acting as if people are watching these press conferences and taking it seriously, and, you know, he's posing this huge threat to the nation now because he's suggesting people start drinking bleach to get rid of the coronavirus. I mean, give me a break. Give me a break. Nobody's actually going to do that. But it is pretty goddamn hilarious. <laughs> I've been watching these press conferences pretty much every day, not because I care what the government has to say, not because I like to see them up there bloviating and bragging about how many ventilators they've got and how many masks they're shipping to this hospital or that hospital or all, all this new stuff that they're working on and how they're doing this great job, uh, none of which I really agree with and uh, even less that I actually care about. But it is just absolutely hilarious to watch Donald Trump up there and watch him field questions and yell at reporters and... I've never seen anything like this. I don't know if we ever will see anything like this ever again. I can't stop laughing. You know, I was trying to work out yesterday. You know, I've been doing pr like prison workouts in my living room because I can't go to the gym, right? So I've been, I was trying to work out while he was doing this press conference yesterday. And I'm just cracking up in the middle of like uh, curling like 30 pound dumbbells. It's <laughs> just. <laughs> I, I I love every second of this. I love the theater. I love how insane everything is. And I really genuinely feel bad for people who cannot enjoy this, who cannot at least see the humor in it and get some sort of satisfaction from this. Even if you hate Donald Trump, this, this has to be, you have to be able to enjoy the entertainment value of this. But, you know, it, it's never going to be enough for some people, the, especially those suffering from Trump derangement syndrome. Oh, he's just such a disgrace to the Oval Office, and it, this is just embarrassing. And yeah, maybe. I, I guess I just don't have as much of myself tied to the presidency or the United States government for me to care how ridiculous they look. The more ridiculous they look, the better. It, it just proves my case, <laughs> the case I'm always spitting out into this microphone twice a week, that this is just all ridiculous, this whole thing. It, it's all nonsense. But, you know, it, it really is sort of unbelievable that the, the press and the left, they always want to take Donald Trump literally and they never take him seriously. And that's part of the reason why they, you know, they lost is they really underestimated him. And the people who voted for Donald Trump, they never take him literally, but they always take him seriously. And that dynamic has been playing out the last like four years where there's just this huge disconnect. We haven't seen any self-reflection from the left at all as to why they lost to Donald Trump and why they might actually lose again. We haven't seen any self-reflection from the media. They've never had that look in the mirror moment where you really look inward and reflect on what the hell we've been doing for the, the past, I don't know, decade or so that makes what Donald Trump has been saying resonate with so many people. 
and and how could we lose to like the worst candidate the second worst candidate to ever run for office well maybe that dynamic has something to do with it and maybe if you were to do a little self-reflection instead of just pointing to these boogeymen oh russia russia conspiracy and putin and god knows what else they <laughs> what other nonsense they want to blame it on it, it really is just like a little kid a, a little you know like a fourth grader who loses a game and he can't accept the fact that it's his fault that he lost so he goes around blaming everybody else for his shortcomings. And that's all we've seen from these people. And it's all we continue to see. And they have not learned their lessons. As bad as this is, as bad as the coronavirus uh, whole uh, fiasco has been, as bad as the economy is starting to look, it, it is still not a foregone conclusion that Donald Trump is going to lose this election in November. I don't know how to handicap this one. I haven't made up my mind yet which way I'm going with this. But if you're not going to learn the lessons of why you lost, if you're not going to self-reflect and figure out what it is that you were doing wrong the last time around, and you don't make any adjustments, just like if you lose the, the, a baseball game or something and you don't look at what you did wrong and the, improve, the areas where you can improve on, and you just try to do the same thing. I don't know how you expect to win the next game you go out and play. I mean, this is hilarious. The the memes alone, I, I'm really looking forward to all of the the Clorox bleach memes and the Lysol memes and what whatever else everybody's going to come up with. It's going to be good for a laugh. But, you know, start taking him seriously if you don't want four more years of this and stop taking him so literally. Because believe me, this is not going to be something that, that sinks Donald Trump, okay? Teflon Don can overcome some stupid comment about using disinfectants to, to inject inside your body. And when you blow it out of proportion and when you actually change, like when you actually lie about what he said, because I'm seeing all of these headlines. Oh, Donald Trump is instructing people to inject themselves with this. In fact, like that's not what he said. And now you're giving him more ammunition to call you fake news. Like just let those comments sit out there. Okay. You don't need to embellish them at all. They were dumb enough on their own. Just take what he gives you and use that. Don't try to, you know, kick it up a notch. And in doing so, you weaken your position and you strengthen his. So that would be my piece of advice to all you uh, never-Trumpers out there. Anyway, that's not really what I wanted to talk about today. I do have a couple of articles in the stack here today that cover the rollout of some of these government stimulus programs, the, the Paycheck Protection Program and the CARES Act. And um, I, I don't know if some of you guys have been hearing about the issues of, of small businesses not getting the help from the Small Business Administration that they've come to expect or how these universities got caught with their hands in the cookie jar trying to get their piece of the stimulus, even though some of them have almost as much cash on hand as the federal government does. It's pretty incredible. So I'm going to see if we can go through some of those articles today. And I don't know, maybe just sort of ponder when 
this is all going to end. Like what, how is this supposed to play out? Because I did see another headline today and I don't have uh, an article for this. It just came across my phone that with the coronavirus stimulus and the, the, the impending recession that the deficit this year could reach $3.7 trillion, okay, which is unheard of. I mean, the entire budget was supposed to be like $4 trillion, four and a half. So we're basically spending twice what we were planning on trying to stimulate our way out of this mess, which, as you know from previous episodes, is not the correct solution. But this is just the tip of the iceberg because we're once, let's say, we reopen the economy, it's not as if we're going to just like flip a light switch and everything goes back to normal. No, no. They've, they've done an incredible job of freaking everybody out. There, there's large portions of the population that are just, I, I, I go outside, I walk around, and I see people, they got masks on, and uh, they're afraid to come into contact with people. Like, they're not going to be going to restaurants anytime soon. They're not going to be going to movie theaters. They're not going to be going to outlet malls and things like that. Everything has changed, uh, at least in the short term. So it's not like we're just going to return to normal. And then when you think about all of the states who are now, there's a lot of clamoring now for the states to get bailouts because, you know, they're they're not only getting a lot less tax revenue since we also got the, the most recent unemployment figures and it looks like another 4.4 million people filed for unemployment in the last week, bringing the total to about 26.5 million out of work. So that's a lot of reduced revenue for the states. And they were already, we already had several states, Illinois being one of them, in horrible fiscal shape. And this is the problem. This is the problem when you have a profligate government who spends like a drunken sailor when times are good. They never stash anything away for a rainy day. They're, they're giving themselves bonuses. They're increasing their salaries. They're getting huge pensions, all this stuff. The teachers are getting a ton uh, ridiculous pensions, police and fire. When times are good, they, they build in all of these ridiculous assumptions into their, um, their budgets that times are always going to be good. And their pensions, oh, well, they'll be funded because we're always going to get, you know, an 8.5% return in perpetuity. And then you hit a little bump in the road. And in this case, a pretty big bump in the road. And that all goes out the window. Not only are you not getting 8%, but you're you're probably seeing a negative return on a lot of those pension funds right now. And you're you're getting even less tax revenue than you were expecting. Because you have so many people out of work. Now what's going to happen? Well, now everybody's looking to the federal government. Now the states need a bailout. Well, we, we bailed out all the businesses. We bailed out all these companies. We bailed out the American people. So now it's time to bail out the states. But you just have to remember, if everybody's getting a bailout, who's doing the bailing? I mean, how much of this is actually even possible? Sure, we could, in theory, bail out one sector of the economy one sector that's in trouble by taxing everybody else to pay for it. 
But if everybody's getting a bailout, and I know I've talked about this on the show before, if everybody's getting a bailout, who's doing the bailing? How, how could we possibly just even, how could we think that this is even possible? It's, it's impossible to do this. And it's just going to result in inflation. So uh, this is just the tip of the iceberg where we're at right now. And things are going to get a lot worse before they get better, both on the federal level and the state and local levels, because they're going to be losing out on a lot of revenue. We're not seeing government tighten its belt at all, even though we're, we're, we're heading into some rough economic times. There's no cutback whatsoever. We're just going to spend even more borrow even more, bail out everybody even more. And then when you look at how they're rolling out these bailouts, let's go to the the stack here. Because as predicted on your favorite libertarian podcast, this side of the Mason-Dixon line, these things are a disaster. You know, government struggles enough as it is when it's taking its time thinking that it's doing the right thing and, and coming up with some sort of program to help people. But when they're rushing through it, as I pointed out, like this is just going to be an unmitigated disaster. And so we're starting to see the problems with a lot of these, uh, with the rollout of a lot of these programs. The, uh, the PPP, for example. The small business owners uh, feel like they're washed under the rug. Small business owners livid over the PPP bailout debacle. So small business owners who were shut out of the government's $349 billion paycheck protection program after it ran out of money last week, are livid after learning that banks doled out tens of billions of dollars in funds to large corporations. Surprise, surprise. Around 20% of which were public companies who have other means of accessing capital. So if you're a publicly traded company, the thought was that you wouldn't be going to the the government with your handout. You would go to the public. You know, you'd issue stock or uh, bonds or, you know, go to your bank and get a loan. You have other means of achieving, uh, of accessing capital. But of course, you know, this is the moral hazard and this is the pro. Like, I don't, it's hard to begrudge these companies when the government's handing out free money it's hard to look at them and be like, well, you know, you shouldn't take that. Well, okay, but if they don't take it, their competitors will. And that's the problem here when you have the government handing stuff out. The, the problem is not that greedy companies want to, want to get their hands on free money. Everybody wants to get their hands on free money. The problem is that we have a government with the power to dole it out. And that's the only way you're going to solve that problem is if you take the power away from the government. That's it. You can't give, you know, you can't take the power away from the companies. You can't make the government more powerful because every time you make the government more powerful, that's just more money for them to wield. And that's more, that means more people are going to be lobbying the government and trying to curry favor to get their hands on it and to wield influence. And this is what the Bernie bros of the world don't understand. Bernie Sanders rails until he's blue in the face, or red in the face, that, you know, we have this huge corrupt government and all these corporations are, are buying influence. Well, what's the solution to that? It's not to make the government even bigger and give them more control over things. Uh, what kind of asinine approach is that? Anyway, back to the article here. Bloomberg highlights Robin Schultz, a small business owner 
who is waiting on approval of a $40,000 loan for her Binghamton, Alabama electrical company when the PPP ran out of funds. Now, they have since issued, uh, they, they just came to terms on a new, uh, a, an additional funding. I think it was $484 billion. I talked about it on the last episode. That has now been passed by both houses. So um, there is another additional round of this stimulus coming, but it's never going to be enough. And they're going to have to just keep doing this in perpetuity. But Schultz, uh, her age is 60, and her husband, Steve Bearden, are struggling to keep their six full-time employees on the payroll. The couple isn't sure they can wait for the additional $320 billion approved by Congress on Thursday. Okay. So smaller companies, like us, are probably going to be washed under the rug, said Schultz. The swift and unprecedented response of the U.S. government. Okay, uh, There is some precedent. You just have to look back to 2008. And the Federal Reserve to the coronavirus's economic fallout doesn't mean much to folks like Schultz, who see help coming too late or not at all. Policymakers in Congress, the Treasury Department, and the Central Bank have taken a lesson from the last financial meltdown 12 years ago when ordinary Americans were left to fend for themselves and millions lost their homes. This time, they included individuals and small businesses in their packages, in a way they didn't in 2008 when bank bailouts, even as they saved the system from collapse, okay, um, I'll let that one go, sparked outcry over tilted playing fields for the rich and ignited backlash that altered the political direction of the country. But if one of the lessons of 2008 is to help Main Street as well as Wall Street, the lesson seems to only partially be learned. Americans live in two separate and unequal worlds, and the bailouts reflect this. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I would say that lesson was not learned at all, and that wasn't the lesson, I mean, that wasn't the proper lesson to be learned in the first place. Bailing out Wall Street was a colossal mistake, and it should have never taken place. But the idea that now they've like partially learned this lesson and see, look, they're helping all these small businesses and Main Street's getting some stimulus here. I mean, it was a small fraction of the two point whatever trillion that they rolled out. And as people are figuring out, like these, uh, like this Schultz lady, even that small fraction, they can't get that to the people who need it. They can't get that to the right people. So to me, I, I don't think this is a, a matter of them not knowing the lesson of, of 2008. It, it's them not caring about the lesson from 2008. It's it's not a coincidence that all of this money just happens to make it into the, the big corporations' hands every single time. Some of the 1.7 million PPP applicants described drowning in red tape as they waited for the Treasury Department to provide clarification and guidance as congressional Democrats held up additional funds in order to negotiate for their interests. It seems like the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing, said Schultz. I don't know where to turn for guidance. The fact that large corporations appear to have been prioritized over small businesses, the PPP was intended to help, was an insult on top of injury. After the Small Business Administration's clunky and confusing rollout left small business owners scrambling to tap funds while Fed Chairman Jerome Powell kept cash flowing into the financial system, a $1.25 trillion buying spree, which limited losses for some billion-dollar hedge funds that made wrong-way bets with leverage, according to the report. 
Well, of course, that's part of the moral hazard that we always talk about on this show when it comes to bailouts. Why do you think they're making such reckless leveraged bets in the markets? Because they know if anything goes wrong, they're going to get a bailout from the federal government. They got that backstop in there. The, the Fed will come to their rescue. The Fed will bail them out. So that, that's why they're taking all the risk. It's all upside. Those heavily leveraged bets that they're making in the market, they pay astronomical dividends if everything's going right. And then when things go south, you just get a bailout. So there's no downside. It's all upside for them. So you're, you're going to get more and more people acting like that. I mean, why would you be prudent? Why would you forego all of those gains because you don't want to stomach the risk if there's actually no risk to the downside because you're going to get a bailout? So everybody else who made more conservative investments, who didn't try to chase those really high leveraged yields in the market, who you know maybe bought a, a really conservative T-bill or something like that, they don't get the bailout. They're getting screwed both ways. They're not getting the high returns from the leverage investments, and they're not getting a bailout because you know they didn't they didn't take all that risk. So in the future, you're going to see a lot more bad behavior because that's what we're rewarding with all of these bailouts. All right, uh, back to the article. In 2008, they forgot about Main Street and thought only about Wall Street, said Lawrence Jacobs, director of the Center for Study of Politics and Governance of the University of Minnesota. In 2020, they did a parade down Main Street and just forgot to leave the goodies. In total, the federal government and central bank have committed a combined $2.6 trillion to stem the economic fallout from the Wuhan coronavirus, which includes the two tranches of PPP funds and $77 billion from the Small Business Administration Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program. Disaster Loan Program. Another $600 billion in not-yet-distributed funds have also been set aside for mid-sized companies, which will be able to access capital from the Fed's two Main Street lending facilities. A lot of the pressure came from outside the government, and I do think Treasury has been very attuned to it, said Columbia University Professor Glenn Hubbard, who served on President George W. Bush's Council of Economic Advisors. Hubbard says that he thought the Treasury Department had learned from the mistakes of 2008 and was going to take greater measures to help those in economic distress. The bad press from 08 not dealing with homeowners was probably on people's minds, he added. Bloomberg notes that small businesses have provided nearly half of America's jobs, accounting for roughly 45% of national production and almost all of the growth in employment. Another shafted small business owner, Alex Steed, who owns a video production company in Portland, Maine, says he wasn't able to get some of the SBA someone from the SBA on the phone after applying for the loan. I was told I was caller number 1,403, and it would be around a three-hour wait. I stayed on the line for several hours before it went dead. I never ended up connecting with anyone. The government and uh, people are touting how they had this program ready, but from my perspective, there's just a big disconnect, said Melissa White, a self-employed hair salon owner of 18 years in San Antonio, Texas. Everybody's confused. Meanwhile, resentment is growing over the bigger companies which have received PPP funds as small businesses have limited borrowing options. 
Restaurants and hospitality companies were able to take advantage of a loophole by dividing their workforce into smaller units, receiving stimulus funds by ensuring that each location had fewer than 500 employees. Companies receiving a maximum loan amount of $10 million included Halidor Energy, Terra Hut, Indiana-based coal company that had more than 900 employees at the end of last year, San Jose, California-based Quantum Corp., a tech firm with more than 800 workers in December, and Potbellies, which operated 428 sandwich shops. A Potbelly spokesman said Congress allowed funding for restaurants because their workers are vital to the economy. Halidor and Quantum didn't respond to requests for comments. Ruth's Chris Steakhouse Parent Company, uh, Ruth's Hospitality Group, Inc., received two loans, each for $10 million, because it has two holding companies. Ruth's own 83 restaurants and has 5,740 employees. It decided on Thursday to give the money back a few days after Shake Shack, the national burger chain, said it would return the $10 million it received from the Small Business Administration. When I think of small businesses, I think of mom-and-pop stores with a handful of employees, said Texas Energy consultant Alex Gonzalez, who applied for an SBA loan but wasn't able to receive the funds. You wonder how much of this money was actually intended for companies with 3, 4, 5, 6, 10, or 20 employees were left off. Well, surprise, surprise, if you remember my law, John's Law of Government Legislation, whatever the, the name of the legislation is, whatever the name of the, the government bureaucracy is, in this case the Small Business Administration, whatever their proposed goals are, they always do the exact opposite. So if the Small Business Administration sets out to loan money to small businesses, Obviously, don't expect small businesses to get any of the money. It will be for large businesses, and and the, and you can see what happened. Shake Shack, Potbellies, you know who knows how many how many of these big Ruth Chris. These are huge corporations, okay, and they have thousands of employees, and they're the first ones to get their hands on this money. They're crowding out all of the investment for the for the smaller companies who don't have this direct line into Washington. I'm sure there's some lobbyists out there that, that connected them with who they need to get in touch with in Washington to make sure that they got their hands on the funds. We've got huge uh, universities getting this money now. It's always going to go to the politically connected first, and anything that's left over, any of the crumbs, they'll make its way down to the peasants eventually. Of course. Why wouldn't it work that way? Who do you think is donating to all of these political campaigns? Who do you think is currying favor with all of these Washington elites? It's the big companies. It's the corporations. That's why they're getting bailed out. That's why they're getting the money first. Not to mention they have the economy of scale and all the infrastructure in place. I wouldn't be surprised if all of these big companies have divisions within them just to handle issues like this. So they could have, you know, 10 or 15 people working on getting this money from Washington, whereas a small business owner, he's got to do it all himself. He's got to do everything. He's barely got any time. That one guy had to sit on the phone for like three and a half hours just to try to talk to somebody, which he never even got a hold of. You know, they, these other companies, they can just dole that out to their compliance company uh, division or whatever, and they can take care of it, make sure that they, they get the money that they want. 
I mean, who would have thought that this would be anything other than an unmitigated disaster? And the most outrageous part about all of this, or at least the, the most outrageous story to come out in the last couple of days, has been that these universities have gotten all of this stimulus money. I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous. I have an article here from Politico, but it's just it's way too long to go through. I don't want this to be a, a really long episode here, but you know you've got Stanford University; they were going to get seven point four million. Harvard's the big one; they were going to get eight point seven million, and uh, Princeton two point four. Yale—they've all since come out announcing that they're not going to take this money because Harvard got caught with their hands in the cookie jar. Turns out that they have a forty-one—is it forty-one billion dollar? endowment that's an insane amount of money that's more ca that's almost as much cash on hand as the federal government i think the federal government has like 60 billion in cash on hand at any given time something around there and they've got 40 and they're getting an 8 million dollar loan why why not to mention that we've been propping up these universities they've been the biggest beneficiaries of all of this ridiculously misguided student loan program, we've been subsidizing these universities for decades, giving them an unlimited source of revenue. They could jack tuition prices up through the roof way higher than they would normally be able to at a much faster pace than inflation to astronomical numbers. 60000 a year for a semester, $100,000 doing loan debts. I mean, they have been suckling at the government teat for his, my entire lifetime. And it's gone gangbusters since 2009 when uh, Barack Obama decided to cut out the middleman and loan money directly to students. They have been able to make money hand over fist, billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars in their endowment. How is that even possible? And they're not the only ones. They're not the only ones. Um, Stanford's endowment is $27.7 billion. Princeton, $26 billion. Yale, $30 billion. MIT, $17.5 billion. Notre Dame, $11.2 billion. Even Rice's University, $6.4 billion with a B. I, I mean, they have, they have made so much goddamn money off of this scam where we tell young, we brainwash young, impressionable teenagers to think that they have no other option in life but to go overpay for a worthless college degree. And then they go borrow hundreds of thousands of dollars and funnel it into these universities where they, they churn out uh, you know, gender studies and all these worthless liberal arts degrees. And then we have to, we have to bail them out now that they, uh, now they had to close down their doors for a little bit. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah you should return that money. Uh, of course you should. And the, the only reason they're doing it, they're not doing it out of the goodness of their heart. They would have taken this money if they could have. They just got caught doing it. They didn't like the bad publicity. Uh, okay. But again, just like with the, the big companies, the problem here, if you want to get to the root of the problem, it's that we have the government doling out hundreds of billions of dollars. If you take that away, what are these universities going to do? What are these big corporations going to do? Well, they're going to have to tap into the, the, the public sources. They're going to have to try to raise money 
through uh, investment, through private investment. They're going to have to sell stock. They're going to have to sell bonds, issue bonds. They're going to have to find a, a free market solution to sustain them. And if there is no market for what they're offering, well, then they're going to have to close their doors. I, I, I'm sorry, why are we propping up businesses that nobody wants to support? And the idea that these universities can't stay afloat through a couple months off for the coronavirus is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, they are so bloated because they've been getting the, these inflated tuitions from all of these students getting an unlimited supply of money from government loan programs. I mean, there, there's got to be millions of dollars in operating costs that they could cut right off the bat, but they've just never had to. They've never had to cut costs. And look at their endowments, $40 billion. I mean, I just can't get over that that's how much cash they have. That is unbelievable. And they're not even tapping into that. They're, they're taking an $8 million loan. Uh, oh, man. The balls on these universities is really, really out of control. But this is the, the sort of moral hazard that you create when you have these sort of government programs. And, any, and no matter what they do, they're always going to be these kinds of issues. And I mean, this one was just since they were rushing it so much and it was this emergency where we had to really get this money out the door. Well, you just knew that there wasn't going to be any oversight whatsoever. I, I'm surprised that they even figured out that these universities were doing this. But there's, these are just the big names. I'm sure there, there are hundreds of other colleges that are still getting this money and that are still going to uh, keep it. They're not going to give it back. They won't be giving that money back anytime soon. Of course not. And they've been, they've been benefiting from, from this college scam just as much as everybody else. In fact, I have some numbers here. Um, Arizona University. These are the public institutions. And these are the total amounts that they were getting from this CARES Act, right? Arizona State, 63533000 Pennsylvania State, $55 million. Rutgers, 54 University of Central Florida, 51 Miami-Dade College, 49 Georgia State, 45 California State University, 44.6 Ohio State, 42.8 Cal uh, California State, Long Beach, 42, roughly. California State, Fullerton, 41. We got Brigham Young, got 32. New York University, 25.6. Kaiser University, 21. I mean, they're all getting tens of millions of dollars here. It's insane. It isn't bad enough that we're propping up all of these universities to begin with. We're subsidizing them to ungodly levels with these uh, with these government loans. And before that, it was government-backed uh, student loans. Th these colleges have been rolling in it for decades, and now they're and they're still getting tens of millions of dollars when when times are tough. I, I never I will never understand why you just can't give the money to the people. Why do we always have to go through this intermediary? You have to go. You have to give it to the company, and then they give it to the their employees. You have to give it to the university, and then they give it to the students. Isn't that suspicious? Doesn't that make you guys think, huh? Maybe this isn't really about helping the American people. I mean, really, if they want to do something, just stop collecting taxes. How about that? I mean, okay, they gave everybody 1200 bucks. 
or they got, I'm going to get into this unemployment thing here in a minute because I got an article on that and the unintended consequences from that misguided policy. Let's say you give them a little money. Okay, but why, why not? Why, instead of taking money from them in the first place and then going through all of these bureaucratic channels to get them some money back, how about you just don't take it from them? How about that? Why not just stop taking taxes for the rest of the year instead of taking the taxes and then spending the money? I mean, we're already blowing the, the deficit $3.7 trillion according to this most recent headline. So why, why continue with this charade? It's literally the most inefficient way possible of getting money to the American people. We, we take it directly from their paycheck before they actually get it. And then instead of even just giving that money directly to them, we funnel it through some intermediary, through their boss or their company or their school. <laughs> and then they're the ones that are supposed to dole it out to the people. I mean, this is ridiculous. What are we doing here? And that's, remember, the, the PPP program was just to get companies to pay their employees to not work, right? So what, what's happening now at, with, with some of these business owners is because we have the Paycheck Protection Program, all right, and then we also have the unemployment checks going out. And if you remember, on top of the regular unemployment benefits that you were going to get, they were going to give you an extra $600 a week. Now, that may not seem like a lot of money to some people, but to a lot of American workers, especially the ones that are being laid off in this environment, service sector, you know, uh, restaurant employees, uh, warehouse workers, fast food workers, things like that, $600 a week is a ton of money. Okay, and uh, let's let's take a look at the third article on the stack today. They demand unemployment. Business owner shocked at angry response when she tells her staff their paychecks will resume. And now, as BizPackReview.com's Vivek Saxena details below, a Washington State business owner faces backlash from her employees after she obtained a forgivable Paycheck Protection Program loan from the federal government that has allowed her to keep her staff fully paid through the coronavirus pandemic. In an interview with CNBC this week, salon owner Jamie Black Lewis of the Oasis Med Spa and Salon in Woodenville and Amai Day Spa in Bothell said her employees were furious because they were already making more money being unemployed. Now, I talked about this when they, when they first came out with this Paycheck Protection Program and the CARES Act, and they were going to give everybody $600 a week. There's, there's going to be a vast majority of the American workforce making more money being unemployed than they ever were being employed. And even if you're not making more money, even if you're making slightly less, you're, you're still incentivized not to go to work. Going to work is a hassle. It sucks. I mean, most people hate their jobs, especially ones that aren't, aren't making around $600 a week or whatever it is. I mean, you got to get up early. You got to fight traffic or get on public transportation. You got to you know, dress up and you have to deal with obnoxious coworkers and your asshole boss and all, you know, all that stuff. Nobody likes to do that. They'd much rather have their leisure. 
that make the same amount of money, maybe make slightly less and have all leisure time. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Not to mention all the costs that go into working as, as an adult. I mean, if you have kids, the cost for child care, you could eliminate that cost because you get to stay home with the kids now. The cost to eat, you know, you're, eat, you're out at work, you're eating out at restaurants and stuff. That's expensive. Now you're, you're, work, you're at home the whole time. You can cook for yourself. You can save a ton of money on food and transportation and child care. So even if you're not making nearly as much as you would working, you could still be coming out way ahead here in, in terms of actual dollar amounts and just overall value and happiness, <laughs> lifestyle, a, a better lifestyle, a life of leisure, getting paid to do nothing. Who doesn't want that? Most people that are in that position, they don't like their job. It, they, they work to survive. It's not like a point of, uh, of great satisfaction for them. And the reason, back to the article, they were making more being unemployed was because of the Democrat push provision that was added to the CARES Act. The provision added a flat $600 a week to the typical weekly benefits paid by one's state, CNBC reported. Those traditional benefits, which vary widely between states, replaced about 40% of one's prior wages. The measures improved $600 a week payments, which run through July, aimed to boost the wage replacement rate to 100% of the average worker. But some, especially low-wage workers, come out ahead. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened in Black Lewis's case, just as congressional Republicans had repeatedly warned. It's a windfall they see coming, Black Lewis said, of the unemployment benefits her employees were slated to earn. In their mind, I took it away, and I couldn't believe it. On what planet am I competing with unemployment? It was a firestorm of hatred about the situation. Okay, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. They go through a bunch of comments that senators were making and, and people tweeting. Okay, and here's the problem. The unemployment benefits in South Carolina, for example, are $23 an hour to be unemployed. But now you've got small businesses trying to keep their employees on the payroll, paying them 16 or $17 an hour. One program is undercutting the other. We've got to get that fixed. So what they've done here is they've got the Paycheck Protection Program, right, that they're rolling out where you're going to have all of these business owners paying their employees to basically not work. But on top of that, they created a, an unemployment benefit that for a lot of workers means that they will actually make more on unemployment than they would working. So now you got all these businesses who actually did manage to qualify for these loans who want to pay their employees not to work, but they can't pay them as much as they, their workers would be making on unemployment. I mean, leave it, leave it to the government. They have two competing <laughs> benefit programs for the same problem. This is just a colossal disaster. I'm not surprised. None of you guys should be this surprised. But again, it all goes back. I mean, you can't blame people. You can't blame somebody that wants to, to collect unemployment. Why, why would they not do that if it's in their best interest? If they get more money on unemployment than not working, than getting paid to not work from their employer? Like, why wouldn't they be upset about that? And why wouldn't they take that money? I mean, yeah, some people can sit there and think, like, well, like other people need this unemployment money. And yeah, that would be, maybe that's the correct thing to do, at least morally, from a moral standpoint, you know, other people, like I can at least earn 
what I was going to earn had I been working because my employer got the paycheck protection loan and you know somebody else's employer might not have gotten that and so there are people out there who need this unemployment money but i mean it's not like they're going to to scale back on unemployment money on giving out unemployment money no they're never going to run out of that because remember we have the printing press and all of these people in theory all of these workers paid into unemployment over the years so as far as i'm concerned they're basically just getting back some of their losses and um you know, I, I can't fault them for that. I can't fault anybody for really doing this on, on a logical level. To me, you know, I, I don't like seeing a lot of these people who don't need to get these handouts collecting them. It, it does anger me to some degree. But the real problem here is, is the fact that we have this apparatus doling out the money. As long as that's in place, you're always going to have people gaming the system. You're always going to have fraud. You're always going to have companies, corporations, universities, and individuals all angling to get their piece of that pie. And until we scale back government, until we get rid of these types of perverse incentives and these types of programs, you're never going to see a reduction in these problems. I think I'm going to leave it there for today, guys. Happy Friday. Enjoy your weekend. Um, allegedly, in about a week, we're going to start opening things back up. We'll see. But don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Pedal Fiction. Go to pedalingfictionpodcast.com if you want to become a supporting listener of the show. And if you can do all that for me, I will be back next week with a new episode for you. Until then, just remember... 